epic tales of mystery and magic to accounts of battle and empire from the verses of ancient poets to the masterpieces of our times a light on literature brings to life China's literary heritage and a look at the world in a new light On today's A Light on Literature, we continue by presenting the book Two Years in the Forbidden City by Princess De Ling. Today, Ma Ling narrates the second part of the ninth chapter titled The Emperor Guangxu. The previous part attempted to bring Emperor Guangxu out of the historical shadows and into the spotlight, but failed as the story still mostly focused on Empress Cixi. There are reasons she overshadowed the man who was supposed to stay in front of the curtain and reign over the country. In this part, Derling observes the interaction between the servant girls and Her Majesty, as well as discovering that Cixi was not at all difficult to please. Enjoy! It seemed one of the young eunuchs caught a crow. The eunuchs hated crows, as they are considered an unlucky bird. The people in China called eunuchs crows because they were very disagreeable. That was the reason why the eunuchs hated them so. They always set traps to catch them and then tied a huge firecracker to their legs, set fire to the cracker, and then set the unfortunate birds free. Naturally, the poor birds would be glad to fly away, and by the time the powder exploded, would be high up in the air, and the poor bird would be blown to pieces. It seemed this was not the first time the eunuchs had played this cruel trick. I was told it always delighted them so much to see blood and torture. They always invited others to drink some wine with them to celebrate an occasion such as this. This cruel deed was always done outside of the wall of the audience hall, but that day the crow flew towards Her Majesty's own palace where she was sleeping and the powder exploded while the bird was passing the courtyard. After the head eunuch had told Her Majesty what had happened, she was very angry and ordered that this young eunuch be brought in and received punishment in her presence. I noticed one of the head eunuch's attendants push the culprit out from the crowd. The head eunuch immediately gave orders to lay this man on the ground, and two eunuchs stood on each side of him and beat him on his legs with two heavy bamboo sticks one at a time. The victim never uttered a word while this was going on. The head eunuch counted until this man had received 100 blows. Then he gave orders to stop. Then he knelt in front of Her Majesty, waiting for her orders, and at the same time kowtowed on the ground until his head made a noise on the stone steps, asking to be punished for his carelessness and neglect of duty. Her Majesty said that it was not his fault and ordered him to take the offender away. During all this time, the offender was still on the ground and did not dare to move. Two eunuchs each 
took hold of a foot and dragged him out of the courtyard. We were all afraid even to breathe aloud, for fear Her Majesty would say that we were pretending to be frightened at witnessing this punishment. At the same time, when it was over, we would go and gossip about how cruel she was. No one was surprised at what had happened. As we were accustomed to seeing it almost every day and were quite used to it, I used to pity them, but I changed my mind very soon after I had arrived. The first person I saw punished was a servant girl. She had made a mistake about Her Majesty's socks and had brought two which were not mates. Her Majesty's finding that out ordered another servant girl to slap her face ten times on each cheek. The girl did not slap hard enough, so Her Majesty said that they were all good friends and would not obey her orders, so she told the one who had been slapped to slap the other. I thought that was too funny for anything and wanted to laugh the worst way, but of course did not dare. That night, I asked those two girls how they felt slapping each other that way. The reason why I asked them was because they were laughing and joking as usual immediately they were out of Her Majesty's bedchamber. They told me that was nothing, that they were quite used to it and never bothered themselves about such small things. I, in turn, soon became used to it and was as callous as they were. Now, regarding the servant girls, they are a much better class of people than the eunuchs. They are the daughters of Manchu soldiers and must stay ten years at the palace to wait upon Her Majesty, and then they are free to marry. One got married after my first month at the court. Her Majesty gave her a small sum of money, 500 taels. This girl was so attached to Her Majesty that it was very hard for her to leave the court. She was an extremely clever girl. Her name was Chiu Yun, Autumn's Cloud. Her Majesty named her that because she was so very delicate looking and slight. I liked her very much during the short time that we were together. She told me not to listen to anyone's gossip at the court. Also that Her Majesty had told her she was very fond of me. On the 22nd day of the third moon, she left the palace, and we were all sorry to lose her. Her Majesty did not realize how much she missed her until after she had gone. For a few days, we had nothing but troubles. It seemed as if everything went wrong. Her Majesty was not at all satisfied with Chiu Yun. The rest of the servant girls were scared and tried their best to please Her Majesty, but they had not the ability. So we had to help and do a part of their work so as not to make Her Majesty nervous. Unfortunately, she stopped us and said, You have enough to do of your work, and I do not want you to help the servants. You don't please me a bit that way. She could see that I was not accustomed to her ways, for she had spoken severely, so she smiled and said to me, I know you are good to help them so as not to make me angry, but these servants are very cunning. It isn't that they cannot do their work. They know very well that I always select the clever ones to wait on me in my bedroom, 
and they don't like that. So they pretend to be stupid and make me angry so that I will send them to do the common work. The eunuchs are worse. They're all afraid to take children's place. Now I have found them out, and I will only keep the stupid ones to wait on me from now. I almost laughed when I noticed that they all looked serious for a moment. I thought these people must be really stupid and not lazy. But I had dealings with them every day and found them out all right. The eunuchs don't seem to have any brains at all. They are such queer people and have no feelings. They have the same mood all day long. I should say they are in a cruel mood. Whenever Her Majesty gave an order, they always said, Ja, yes. And as soon as they got to our waiting room, they would say to each other, What What was the order? I have forgotten all about it. Then they used to come to one of us who had happened to be present when the order was given. Please tell us what the order was. I did not listen while Her Majesty was talking. We used to laugh and make fun of them. We knew they were afraid to ask Her Majesty. And of course, we had to tell them. One of the eunuch riders had to keep writing down the orders that had been given during the day, for Her Majesty wanted to keep records of everything. There were 20 eunuchs who were educated and they were excellent scholars. These had to answer any questions which Her Majesty happened to ask them about Chinese literature while she had a good knowledge of it herself. I noticed that it pleased her a great deal if anyone could not answer a question or knew less than she did. She took delight in laughing at them. Her Majesty was also very fond of teasing. She knew that the court ladies did not know very much about literature, so she used to try it on us. We had to say something, whether it was appropriate to her questions or not, and that would make her laugh. I was told that Her Majesty did not like anyone to be too clever, and yet she could not bear stupid people, so I was rather nervous and did not know how to act for the first three weeks I was there. But it did not take me very long to study her. She certainly admired clever girls, but she did not like those who would show their cleverness too much. How I won her heart was this way. Whenever I was with her, I used to fix my whole attention on her and watched her very closely, not staring, for she hated that, and always carried out her orders properly. I noticed another thing, and that was that whenever she wanted anything to be brought to her, such as cigarettes, handkerchief, etc., she would only look at the article and then look at anyone who happened to be there at the time. There was always a table in the room on which everything she needed for the day was placed. I got so used to her habits that after a short time I knew just what she wanted by looking at her eyes. And I was very seldom mistaken. This pleased her a great deal. She was strong-minded and would always act the way she thought was right and had perfect confidence in herself. At times I have seen her looking very sad. She had strong emotions, but her will was stronger. 
she could control herself beautifully, and yet she liked people to sympathize with her only by actions, not by words, for she did not like anyone to know her thoughts. Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn/podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people. I'm sure. My readers will think how hard it was to be the court lady of Her Majesty, the Empress Dowager of China. But on the contrary, I enjoyed myself very much, as she was so interesting, and I found that she was not at all difficult to please. The first day of the fourth moon, Her Majesty was worried over the lack of rain. She prayed every day after the audience for. Ten days without any result, every one of us kept very quiet. Her Majesty did not even give in orders that day and spoke to no one. I noticed that the eunuchs were scared, so we went without our lunching. I worked so hard that morning and was so hungry. In fact, all the court ladies were. I felt sorry for Her Majesty. Finally, she told me I could go. As she wanted to rest a while, so we came back to our own quarters. I questioned our own eunuch Wan as to why Her Majesty was worrying about rain, for we were having lovely weather then, day after day. He told me that Lao Fu Ye, old Buddha, was worried for the poor farmers, as all their crops were dead without rain for so long. Wan also reminded me that it had not rained once. Since I came to live at the palace, I did not realize that it was so long as two months and seven days, and on the other hand, it seemed to me longer than that, for the life was very nice and pleasant, and Her Majesty was very kind to me, as if she had known me for years already. Her Majesty took very little food at dinner that night; there was not a sound anywhere. And everyone kept quiet. The young empress told us to eat as fast as we could, which puzzled me. When we came back to our waiting room, the young empress said to me that Her Majesty was very much worried for the poor farmers, and that she would pray for rain and stop eating meat for two or three days. That same night, before Her Majesty retired, she gave orders that no pigs. Were to be slaughtered within the gates of Peking. The reason of this was that by sacrificing ourselves for not eating meat, the gods would have pity on us and sent rain. She also gave orders that everyone should bathe the body and wash out the mouth in order that we might be cleansed from all impurities and be ready to fast and pray to the gods. Also, the emperor should go to the temple inside the forbidden city to perform a ceremony of sacrifice called Chintan. He was not to eat meat or hold converse with anyone. 
and to pray to the gods to be merciful and send rain to the poor farmers. His Majesty, the Emperor Quan Shu, wore a piece of jade tablet about three inches square engraved Chai Chie, the meaning being just like Qing Tan, not to eat meat, but to pray three times a day, both in Manchu and Chinese. And all the eunuchs who went with the emperor wore the same kind of tablet. The idea was that this jade tablet was to remind one to be serious in performing the ceremonies. The next morning, Her Majesty got up very early and ordered me not to bring any jewels for her. She dressed herself in great haste. Her breakfast was very simple that day, just milk and steamed bread. Our own breakfast was cabbage and rice cooked together with a little salt. It was tasteless. Her Majesty did not talk to us at all, except when giving orders, and so, of course, we kept silent. Her Majesty wore a pale grey gown made very plain, with no embroidery or trimmings of any kind. She wore grey shoes to match, not to mention her grey handkerchief. We followed her into the hall where a eunuch knelt with a large branch of willow tree. Her Majesty picked a little bunch of leaves and stuck it on her head. The young empress did the same and told us to follow her example. Emperor Quan Shi took a branch and stuck it on his hat. After that, Her Majesty ordered the eunuchs and the servant girls to do the same thing. It was a funny sight, and everyone did look queer with a bunch of leaves on the head. The head eunuch came and knelt in front of Her Majesty and said that everything was prepared for the ceremony in the little pavilion in front of her own palace. She told us that she preferred to walk as she was going to pray. It took us only a few minutes to cross the courtyard. When we arrived at this pavilion, I noticed a large square table was placed in the center of the room. A few large sheets of yellow paper and a jade slab containing some vermilion powder instead of ink with two little brushes to write with. At each side of the table stood a pair of large porcelain vases with two large branches of willow. Of course, no one was allowed to speak, but I was curious and wanted to find out why everyone had to wear the willow leaves on the head. Her Majesty's yellow satin cushion was placed in front of this table. She stood there and took a piece of sandalwood and placed it in the incense burner filled with live charcoal. The young empress whispered to me to go over and help Her Majesty to burn them. I placed several pieces in until she told me that was enough. Then Her Majesty knelt on her cushion. The young empress knelt behind her, and we all knelt in a row behind the young empress and commenced to pray. The young empress taught us that very morning how to say the prayer. We worship the heavens and beg all the Buddhas to take pity on us and save the poor farmers from starving. We are willing to sacrifice for them. Pray heaven, send us rain. We repeated the same prayer three times and bowed three times, nine times in all. After that, Her Majesty went to her usual morning audience. 
It was much earlier than usual that morning, for the court was returning to the Forbidden City at noon. His Majesty the Emperor Quanxi was to pray at the Forbidden City, and Her Majesty always wanted to accompany him wherever he went. It was nine o'clock in the morning when the audience was over. She ordered me not to bring any jewels for her to the Forbidden City this time, for she would not need them at all. I went to the jewel room and locked everything up and placed the keys in a yellow envelope, sealed it, and placed the envelope among the others and gave them to a eunuch, who takes care of these things. We packed all her favorite things. Her gowns were the most important things to pack. She had so many, and it was impossible to take all. I noticed that the court lady who was looking after her gowns was the busiest among us. She had to select the gowns enough to last four or five days. She told me that she had selected about fifty different ones. I told her that Lao Tzu Tsung might stay at the Forbidden City for five days, and that she would not need so many gowns. She said, "It was safer to bring many, for one was not sure what would be Her Majesty's idea for that day." Packing at the court was very simple. Eunuchs brought many yellow trays, which are made of wood painted yellow, about five feet by four feet and one foot deep. We placed a large yellow silk scarf in the tray, then the gowns, and covered them with a thick yellow cloth. Everything was packed the same way. It took us about two hours to pack fifty-six trays. These things always started off first, carried by the eunuchs. His Majesty, the Emperor Quanxu, the Yan Empress, and all the court ladies had to kneel on the ground for Her Majesty's sedan chair to pass the palace gate. Then we went in search of our own chairs. The procession, as usual, was pretty: soldiers marching in front of her chair. Four young princes riding on horseback on each side of her, and from forty to fifty eunuchs also on horseback behind her, all dressed in their official robes. The emperor's chair and the young empress's chair were of the same color as Her Majesty's. The secondary wife of the emperor had a deep yellow chair. The chairs of the court ladies were red and were carried by four chair bearers, instead of eight like their majesties. Our own eunuchs also rode on horseback behind us. We rode a long time, it seemed to me, before I noticed the emperor's chair began to descend from the stone-paved road, and we all followed him. I could see that Her Majesty's chair was still going straight on, and we took a nearer route to reach Wan Shou Si, the Long Life Temple, to await Her Majesty's arrival. We alighted from our chairs and started at once to prepare Her Majesty's tea and her little dishes. I went to help her to alight, and supported her right arm to mount the steps. Her Majesty sat on her throne, and we placed a table in front of her. And my sister brought her tea. The custom was that if she went anywhere or during the festivals, we must bring to her everything. Instead of the eunuchs, we placed all the dainties in front of her, and then we went to rest. Her Majesty always stopped at this temple on the way from the summer palace to the Forbidden City. 
that was from the ninth chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City, written by Princess Sterling and narrated by Man Ling. Join us next time on A Light on Literature for the tenth chapter titled The Young Empress. What sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at ChinaPlus.cri.cn/podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese.